Hey guys, Jeff here. Thanks for downloading this episode of South Something Scary. Uh, one thing I just want to warn you about, for some reason, Derek and I, uh, our connection was aggressively trying to undermine our recording this podcast. And so you'll hear some Skype static and digital fuzz that hopefully uh, is not what you're used to hearing from us. I think that you'll find the episode worth listening to nonetheless, but I just want to give you a heads up that the quality on the connection on this one was just a little bit below what we're used to delivering. So anyway, Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Saw Something Scary. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the. Me- uh, that's a long show. Um, <laughs> I just got wrestling on the brain, I guess. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Saw Something Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff right here with you. Uh, we got a great one this week. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Derek. Uh, I guess it's been the right amount of time for me to revisit this franchise because, like you said, I thought this movie was great, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you guys for everyone who voted. We are going to be taking a look at the Conjuring series over the next few weeks, and so of course we're starting today with the conjuring the original conjuring movie that came out back in way back in the day 2013 so i uh, really look forward to talking to you guys about that but before we do let's get into everyone's favorite part of the show jeff hates trailers and uh, hey man i got a few for you today that uh a couple tv shows and then a couple a uh, couple movies and stuff um obviously I, I guess we should probably talk about that castle rock trailer that dropped i don't know if you did you watch it the teaser trailer i did watch that okay what'd you think about I mean, you know, yeah. I... It, it, it violates my rule, right? Like my thing is, if I know I'm going to watch something, I don't watch the trailer. But I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm hyped for that show. Um, yeah. And the other part of this is this combined world, you know, amalgamation of all Stephen King stuff that can go really bad. So maybe part of it was me just wanting to see does this look like it's going to be a train wreck from the jump? I don't know. Yeah. Um, actually, now that we're talking about Derek, I'll tell you what that that series does for me. It, it activates nostalgia for me. Um, okay. We've talked about it on here before. There was an old school like Nickelodeon show, I think it might have been on some network, but it was called Erie, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? It was this kid who moved to a strange town and like all this crazy stuff was happening and he was documenting yep. it. Yeah. I guess Castle Rock feels like grown up Erie, Indiana for me. And it's kind of like a hook in my in my cheek. It's just pulling me along. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm with you, man. I'm in. Uh, obviously, you and I were going to be in on that anyway. And uh, and but yeah, I, I I think that's a really great way of, of putting it. It's uh, it's interesting to see so many Stephen King things come together like that. And and it's either I mean, this is probably the uh, understatement of the century. It's either going to be really good or really bad, right? Yeah. Uh, but I've got I've got my hopes up, man. I think that they've got a good. Looks like they've got a really good team on it. They've obviously got a lot of talent involved in this. So uh, you know, I I'll be there for the long run it's only 10 episodes so uh you know hey man i made it through the mist i can make it through castle rock too right you're a soldier and terry o'quinn's in it so i'm already sold of course for sure. So, and Castle Rock will debut. Did we talk about that last week? I don't recall that we did. Uh, some, you know, one of our okay. listeners may come back and tell me I'm wrong, but I don't remember if we gave the debut date. Okay, uh, July 25th is when the series premieres. That'll be a Wednesday. So, uh, mark your calendars, guys. We are we are rapidly approaching that. So that's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Okay, really looking forward to that. Um, the second thing, uh, and I don't know if you were ever a fan of this show or not, but it's one of my absolute favorites. Arrested Development is coming back. Yeah, I should have watched that, but I just never did. I mean, I feel like every one of my friends has a deep emotional, you know, relationship with that that series, but it, I just I missed it. Yeah, that's disappointing, man. You missed out on one of the best one of the best uh, TV shows of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, tell me what's so great about it. Oh, man. Just, uh, the actors in the show are fantastic. The writing is wonderful. The jokes. You can go back and watch episodes of, of, of Arrested Development, and I went through and probably watched that series all the way through, probably three or four times. Yeah. And you will catch a joke that you missed or there's all sorts of foreshadowing in it. There's all sorts of, of bits that are setting up future bits. Uh, it's just, it's a very nuanced but also hilarious show and, and uh, the chemistry between the actors in that show is is really what sets it apart in my opinion. It's, you know, one of the great things about The Office was the uh, the ensemble, right? Yeah, yeah. And same thing with Parks and Rec and I, I believe that this is another one of those ensemble comedies where uh, and you, you can even see that in their fourth season because Netflix came out with a fourth season and of course, you know, 
the majority of these actors have uh, you know had flourishing careers since Arrested Development ended, and so it was very hard for them to get back together in the same space. So they they used a lot of green screen, smoke and mirrors, and stuff to do that fourth season, and it just was not the same. Gotcha. Uh, and so this this season, the fifth season, uh, they they've got everybody back together, and you know, and the, and the band will be uh, the band will ride again. So I'm really really looking forward to it. And yeah, if you, if you haven't seen it, uh, watch the first three seasons, and then you can cut it after that. Because um, the fourth season, well, you know what? They actually just last week they released a remix version of it of the fourth season, and it feels a lot more like original three, but it's still not um, as good. Okay. Um, but it's uh, if if you haven't watched it first three seasons, because it's amazing. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'll go back and do and that. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I highly recommend it. It's if uh, like I said, if you like The Office, you like Parks and Rec. It's not it's not in the same vein as the as those shows, but I I rank Arrested Development up there as probably one of my top five favorite comedies ever. Mm, okay. okay. Yeah. So, and the season premiere on that will, uh, all those episodes will drop on Netflix on Tuesday, May 29th. So, uh, get ready, because it's going to be good. I'm also, uh, where is it? Robin Hood. Oh, the, like a TV show, Robin Hood, right? You heard? No, it's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, but is it is it cast with like young yeah. pretty things off the CW or whatever? Uh, well, uh, Taron Edgerton is Robin Hood, and he was Eggsy uh, Eggsy in uh, the Kingsman movies. Do you ever watch the Kingsman movies? I watched the first like hour of the first one. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the okay. only thing I know about this is that. It was on the sidebar of some like pop culture blog I was looking at, and it was clearly marked as like Robin Hood, but I know nothing else about it. And I, you know, I'm not taking any kind of bold stand here. Robin Hood's one of those literary characters that I've grown up loving. So tell me more about this, Derek. Mm-hmm. You, you can be my guide. Um, well, I mean, it's obviously it's the story of Robin Hood. Uh, it is sort of the Pretty Little Things version of it, but there's some really interesting talent in there. You've got Jamie Foxx playing Little John. Huh, okay. um, ben Middleton is playing the Sheriff of Nottingham, which uh, Ben Middleton was in The Dark Knight Rises, yeah. uh, and he was in the show, uh, oh my gosh, Bloodline. There it is. Bloodline. Is that the one Those on Netflix? The, that you- and he was also... Yeah, 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 yeah. The one on uh, on Netflix that I really enjoyed. He was also in Rogue One. Okay. Uh, he was one of the antagonists in Rogue One. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's playing the sheriff of Nottingham. Jamie Dornan or Dornan is in it, and uh, Jamie Jamie Dornan is best known as Christian Grey in the Fifty Shades of Grey series. Yeah. Um. So I mean, obviously that's this. a huge uh, plus. Yeah, a huge feather cap of this movie. Um. And then also British singer comedian Tim Minchin is in it, and I'm a huge Tim Minchin fan. We also share the same birthday. So there you go. Um, but yeah, man, I, I don't think I'll watch this in theaters, but I'll definitely like Redbox it or maybe, you know, uh, Netflix it or something when it comes to those platforms. Yeah. What What did you say the name of the actor is who's playing the Sheriff of Nottingham? Ben Middleson. Mendelson. Excuse me. If I've got that right, he plays the guy who is um, building the Death Star in Rogue One. Sort of a sniveling yes. bureaucrat and career career minded man. Yep. Uh, if he plays that exact same character, just not part of the Empire as sheriff sheriff of Nottingham, he'll be great. That's really good casting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Yeah. yeah my, uh, my interest is. I peaked. mean, nobody will ever. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Nobody will ever beat Alan Rickman, but I think he'll do a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And Jamie Foxx is in it. That's crazy. Yeah, that's the out of the box casting. I know that I already. I, yeah, I know I already said Jamie Foxx, but it's just still kind of. Um, do you, let me ask you this, man. Did you think that Jamie Foxx's career would be what it is right now? And I mean, and this isn't me dogging on Jamie Foxx, but like, you know, he won the he won the Oscar for for Ray what like 12, 13 years ago, some somewhere through there, and then he really hasn't been in anything of merit since then. Yeah, he has his hand in so many different things. Um, no, truth be told, his career has not played out the way I thought it would because probably in a different way than you're asking about, but because I didn't realize how much stuff he could do. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that sketch show he was on was called In Living Color, right? And right. Uh, that thing, I think we may have even talked about it on this podcast again, but it's just remarkable what came out of that. Obviously, Jim Carrey came out of it. Um, he probably mm-hmm. hit heights that Jamie Foxx never hit, you know, at his pinnacle, but then he right. f- faded off. Jamie Foxx has had a much more prolonged career in 
diverse career. And then Jennifer Lopez was dancing, you know, as one of the uh, the dancers on the show. I, I don't know that we're ever going to see a sketch comedy show that's not SNL dump so much influence into pop culture. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a really strange deal. Yeah. If I can mentally go back to seeing Jamie Foxx on those shows, I really thought he would be sort of a an extremist comedy character, always playing the like kind of weird sidekick or the, um, you know, the character who's super big and super unrealistic, but but's there for sort of shock value. Mm-hmm. That that he's developed into what he has is pretty startling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's very true. I don't think anybody would have imagined that Jamie Foxx was going to be um, a singer with you know uh, a top ten. I, I'm pretty sure he had a top ten song with uh, with Kanye. Yeah, you know, Gold Digger, Gold Digger was pretty uh, impressive. You know, uh, no one would have ever pegged Jamie Foxx, especially when he was cross dressing on the Dollar to be an Oscar winner for Best Actor. Right? Absolutely. Uh, but I, I guess for me, the biggest thing was was that I just expected him to be in better movies yeah. since then. Yeah. You know, um, kind of kind of to take Denzel's spot as Denzel has, has gotten older. But, you know, I guess Denzel, no one's going to take Denzel's spot. <laughs> yeah. And and Jamie may have achieved, I mean, you know, when you get some of that stuff under your belt so quickly, some of those awards and accolades and whatnot, and the money that goes along with it, he may feel no incentive mm-hmm. to not do something, uh, no incentive to do anything other than whatever grabs his fancy in the moment. You know, that guy can sit home and know that if he never does anything else again, his resume is incredible uh, and he's going to be making money off residuals forever. Or he can say, you know what, for whatever reason that tickled me and I'm going to do it. You know, it's sort of, it's not um, screw you money, but it's a, it's a kind of thing that's like that. It's, uh, you know, uh, get me off my couch money, I guess, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so yeah, so anyway, Robin Hood All comes right. out uh, sometime soon. I'm not real sure. I don't think it gave a date okay. when it comes out. Um, so anyway, the last one I have is a movie called A Simple Favor. A Simple Favor. Uh, we got a little digital. Sorry, Derek. We got a little digital yeah, static there. Sim- you said a simple favor. Okay, I did a simple favor. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, it's a crime mystery thriller. Um, and here is the premise on the movie. It is uh, centers around Stephanie, a mommy vlogger, okay, who seeks to uncover the truth behind her best friend Emily. Uh, her best friend Emily's sudden disappearance from their small town. Stephanie is joined by Emily's husband Sean in this stylish thriller filled with twists and betrayals, secrets and revelations, love and loyalty, murder and revenge. Star star. Jeez, stars Blake Lyon, Linda Cardellini, and uh, my future wife, Anna Kendrick. Okay. I'm probably about to get in trouble, but uh, that sounds like the fantasy of every stay-at-home wife, mommy blogger. You know what I mean? Like, it's playing to Mm -hmm. what I think the same kind of thing that uh, Hitchcock's, was it Through the Rear Window? I I can't remember which movie uh, of his was uh, based on a guy just looking in on other people's lives, you know? Um, yeah, that some some variation of it is is the right words for that. Yeah, and again, I don't mean that as a, a shot to stay at home moms and mommy bloggers. I, a lot of the people I respect most are in those kind of life situations. I just think there's something about you know you get up in the mornings and you realize most of your day is going to be in the same uh, four walls that your recreation time is going to be in. That kind of makes people fantasize and daydream about coming up on some great story that that pulls them out of that. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to put all the caveats in, not in a way that says, hey, I don't want to be with my family or care for them well or anything like that, but just sort of the, the same thing that happens to people who go to the same office every day and you start fantasizing about, uh, you know, uncovering some kind of plot within your office that has national ramifications or whatever you do as you daydream. Uh, but anyway, it, it seems like there's a sure. built-in audience for that premise who's going to be very excited to, to give their mental landscape to, to that story for a while. Yeah. Um, is it something that you you're interested in or is it just uh no thank you? Yeah, I'm generally interested in. I mean, I saw the girl from the train and uh that seems like sort of a first cousin to to that kind of story. So, I watched that on Redbox or streaming or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um obviously since the missus is in it, I'll have to I have to watch it, but yeah. I'll, I'll probably wait for it to come out on box or something. All right, man. That's going to do it for this week's uh, this week's edition of Jeff H. Trailers. So hop on in. This week's got a few things to, to toss at you for the horror reporter one uh, I grabbed because it merges our podcasting world uh, did you see that WWE Hall of Fame performer uh, Lita is launching a new UFO culture series 
I did. Yes, yeah, so I follow her on Instagram, and I'm pretty sure she said something about that there. Okay. Well, for our listeners, it is called the UFO Show. No W on show, I guess, to, to visually emphasize the rhyme with UFO. It is going to be on something called ASY TV. Have you ever heard of ASY TV? No, I haven't. You can apparently watch it online or it's available through Roku. So, I mean, we're talking about super obscure, I guess, but thankfully most anything can be tracked down on the internet. Um, her real name is something Dumas. What is, what's her first name? Do you remember? Amy. Amy. Amy Dumas. She told, according to Bloody Disgusting anyway, she told a website called Punk Rock and UFOs that she's not out trying to prove the existence of aliens, but just take a look at the culture that has grown up around uh, UFOs investigation. So the the Roswell conventions and some of the stuff that if you're a fan of the X-Files, you probably saw in the uh, characters known as the uh, the lone gunman. You know, they're, they're wearing the conspiracy t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, here's a quote. My premise of the show is incorporating being on the road and stopping pulling over at every UFO themed roadside attraction. But we're not trying to be the show that's actually proving anything. Um, we're not actually hunting UFOs. It's more of a human interest show. And apparently it's only a three episode series. She's going to hit Roswell, Santa Fe, and Sedonia, Arizona. Sounds reasonable. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, Derek, what are the chances that you're going to watch one of these three episodes? Uh, if I can find it somewhere, I'll probably like an eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, my, um, my, I guess, streaming device in our bedroom is a Roku, so I will probably try to track down ASYTV. Um, Lita was in the oh, recent cool. Women's Royal Rumble. Am I right on that? Yes, sir. She was. Okay. How'd she look? She's, can she still go? Yeah, I mean, yeah, she she did okay. Um, she I thought she's gonna break her neck on a spot she did, but besides that, she looked she looked fine, and yeah, she can still go. So multi talented woman then uh, creating series. Absolutely. She also uh, I, I was also I was gonna say she also uh, used to be I don't know if she still is, but she she was for a time the lead singer of a punk rock band. Oh wow. Okay. So um, yeah, called uh, I believe it was called the Lucha Gores. But I could be wrong on that. Lucha Gores. Okay. So pretty much the same thing we were saying about Jamie Foxx earlier, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, kudos to you, Lita. Uh, and good luck with the UFO show. Uh, yeah. Second piece, we have already got news that AMC is adapting Joe Hill's uh, NOS 4A2 uh, property. But we found out recently that Netflix is going to adapt his and his dad's in the tall grass. And so I guess Netflix has loved their opportunity to make use of Stephen King's material. Um, I think everybody celebrated Gerald's game. We, we loved it. You can can find that episode in our archives. Um, Derek, I can't remember. Did you end up watching 1922? Um, yeah, that was the one with uh, with the farmer, right? Yeah, Am the I farmer right who, yes. We'll, we'll just leave yeah, it there. It was Tom Jane, right? Tom, yes. Yeah. Uh, what were yeah, your yeah, thoughts yeah. on that one? Yeah, I'd watch that. Uh, I enjoyed it not as much as Gerald game, but I enjoyed it. I, I'd give it middle of the road, probably. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I, I didn't regret watching it. I, I haven't actually went back and watched Gerald's game yet. I will sometime soon, but uh, I probably won't ever do that with 1922. But I thought Thomas Jane was really good, and it was legitimately uh, eerie movie. And so, anyway, Netflix apparently thought so as well because now they're they're going back for another hit of that King material in the ongoing King Renaissance. Um, so we're going to get in the tall grass, which I know nothing about. Um, brings me to my next point, Derek. I'm going to have to start reading Joe Hill. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you interested in, in this just on the virtue of it being Stephen King and Netflix? Is that enough to hook you in? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't I don't know when this thing's coming out, but we'll get it at some point in the future. And if I'm alive to see it, I'll I'm sure I'll be there opening day. Uh, last piece, man. I don't know if we should drop in audio of us screaming like schoolgirls, but I'm assuming you saw already that we <laughs> have gotten a new poster or rather the first poster and casting details for Jordan Peele's next. Uh, I think the poster calls it his next nightmare. Oh, yes. Yes. So uh, it looks super cool. It looks like a Rorschach test, um, but it, it, it's basically two people in profile back to back, just their heads. And one of the heads is sort of smudged out a little bit. So uh, the, the yep. movie's called Us. It's more social themed horror. And uh, as best I can tell, it's Winston Duke, who I thought was incredible in Black Panther. I am so ready to see a, a man ape spinoff movie with Winston Duke. Dude, yeah. Winston Duke almost steals the show in Black Panther. Like, he's, yeah, he's really great. And he's great in Infinity Wars as well. Yeah, totally agree with that. And uh, Black Panther comes out on Blu ray, I think, in like six days from the time we're recording. 
recording. It's already out digitally. Uh, he was incredible. Yeah. And then, of course, Lapita Nyong'o, who is the other person they've talked about being cast. She's, I don't know when she's going to have a bad performance, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, and it looks like maybe they want Elizabeth Moss to play opposite those two as part of a, a contrasting couple. So I guess Duke and Nyong'o are going to play one couple, and then Elizabeth Moss would be the you know one of the females or the female in the other couple. Uh, I mean, they had me before they ever announced the project. I was going to go see this thing, but uh, these details sort of ramp up my excitement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. Jordan Peele has a card block with us right yeah. now. Anything he does will be their opening night. Uh, I'm going to be their opening night, popcorn and coke in hand, ready to have my mind blown and to see the poster and then to find out that Winston Duke um, and uh, what's the his name again? I'm sorry. Lapita Nyong'o. Yeah. Uh, Lapita Nyong'o and uh, Elizabeth Moss are all involved in it. Uh, that just screams home run to me. So yeah, right. let's uh, let's fast forward to whenever that's supposed to come out. So let's do it. Absolutely, man. Well, brother, that will bring us to the end of what I've got to cover. This has been this week's you ready to pull the curtain on the conjuring? Porter Dustring. Yeah, man, let's do it up. All right, since we are looking at The Conjuring as a franchise, I thought it would be only appropriate to talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren, the real-life paranormal investigators the franchise is based on here at the very beginning before we actually get into the movie proper. Is that cool with you? Yes, sir. All right, so listeners, I'm assuming if you're into horror movies, you already know something about the Warrens, so I'm going to I'm gonna give you the bio from their uh, their website. And I say their website, it's the, um, it's the website of the New England paranormal or psychical research society uh it's it's warrens.net if you want to go look at it but uh here's here's their sketch edward was a world war ii u.s navy veteran who became a noted demonologist author and lecturer his wife lorraine was a professed clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband oh in 1952 the warrens founded the new england society for psychic research which is the oldest ghost hunting group in new england and they also opened the warrens occult museum which shows up in all the conjuring movies it seems like um, they authored oh. numerous books and claim to have investigated over 10,000 uh, paranormal events in their career. Um, they have trained several of the currently working paranormal investigating demonologists. Lorraine, even, I guess, in advanced age, is still assisting with investigations. She says she's doing as a tribute to Ed and that this was really important work to him. And I guess that work carries on through uh, the NESPR society still functions. So that's the Warrens. You know, the movie claims that he's the only outside of the church, outside of the Catholic church um, investigator or whatever that was recognized as an official demon, uh, excuse me, not demonologist, exorcist. I have no idea if that claims legit or not, but these guys are pretty high profile, uh, you know, paranormal investigators. Right. Um, yeah. Just, uh, best of the best, wouldn't you say? Well, that I mean, that's what they're styled as, at least in The Conjuring. I don't. I guess I don't know a ton of different people in the line of work. You know, like these guys are. They may be the only game in town. Um, let me just run through some of their famous cases because it is a treasure trove of horror movies. Um, there's there's people who argue that basically the reason we know the story of the Amityville horror is because the Warrens got involved. Um, the best I can tell is they were a little late to the party, but basically when they got there, they lended credibility to the story of what was happening in the house. Um, so thank you, Ed and Lorraine, I guess, because man, that that story is still being milked for new, you know, new movies. Um, you know, that Annabelle is a conjuring spinoff, but it's sort of super famous as this possessed doll. I think it's a, a Raggedy Ann doll. They they have a much creepier version in this movie and in the resulting spinoffs, but it's really in a case that says positively do not open in their house somewhere. Um, we the Perrin family case, which is the one that this movie is based off of, that you know, was apparently, at least in Lorraine's recounting, so, I don't know, frightening or whatever. They tried to keep it secret for a long time. Um, do you remember a movie called The Haunting in Connecticut about a family living in, a, I think, a haunted funeral parlor? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It, I think the thing that stands out about that movie for me is the, the visual effect of this weird, um, I can't remember what they call it, ectoplasm or something that, that comes out of, you know, the characters who are being possessed or haunted or whatever it comes out of their mouths. Um, mm-hmm. That is a Warren case, although Lorraine is pretty famous for saying the movie got everything wrong. And then um, the infield poltergeist, which is what The Conjuring 2 is based on. It, it's one of the more famous paranormal uh, investigations 
in history because like the BBC got involved in reporting on it and whatnot. There's just a ton of data uh, involved with that investigation. So even if you're not into horror movies, if you're into like checking out whether or not there's such a thing as a real life ghost story, you're going to come across the infield poltergeist pretty quick. So, uh, I guess all I'm saying is that the Warrens kind of their career gives us a, a chunk of what we think of as the horror movie industry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they are. They are not without controversy, though. I will put a link in our subreddit to this. Last year in December, uh, Hollywood Reporter le- released a fairly lengthy piece called War Over the Conjuring, the disturbing claims behind a billion dollar franchise. It was written by Kim Masters and Ashley Cullens. And that thing is just a laundry list of controversies associated with the Warrens. Um, I mean, you can imagine for people who investigate paranormal stuff and, and lend it credence, there's going to be a lot of people debunking their work and saying it's nonsense. Sure. Um, more surprising, though, is there's an allegation from a woman who's now in her 70s who said she lived with the Warrens as basically a live-in lover when she was 15. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, all the details in here are from court documents, and so uh, I don't want to besmirch the good name of Ed Warren, but if you believe her narrative, uh, and, and, and maybe you should, I've, I've not investigated this, but if you believe her narrative, Ed was basically a pedophile, and Lorraine either participated in some ways or was, you know, a, a silent witness who didn't intervene. Um, uh-huh. I mean, the the same girl alleges that that Lorraine was abused, so she may not have had any options. But the the thing that that stands out one, this is a pretty serious accusation, and then two, Lorraine has fought like crazy to keep any of those details from making its way into the the movie representations of Ed. Yeah. I, I don't know what to make of that. It's just, it's kind of stunning, you know, the, the allegation. Uh, the other piece is that there's an author named Gerald Brittle who uh, claims that The Conjuring basically ripped off his book on uh, the Warren's career. Okay. I, I think we talked about this a long time ago, but it's a book called The Demonologist, The Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I've arrested you. Does that ring a bell? Have you read that perchance? I, I have not. I, I would like to, um, but no, I, I don't think that I have. Well, well, I, I know that I haven't. I, what I would say to anybody listening to this and you as well, if you are kind of into the conjuring and, and would enjoy consuming those kind of stories through a book, I listened to the audio book of, uh, this Gerald Brittle book and it clearly does, uh, look very much like the stories being told in the conjuring franchise. But there's a lot of additional details. I have no idea if it's historically credible, but it was a really good listen. And uh, I'll be happy to loan you my copy if you want to throw it in the earbuds, Derek. But if if you want more, actually, it seems like the source to go to is the book that is at the center of the lawsuit over who gets you know a hand in the money that this franchise has made. Um, and, and to whatever degree Brittle was ripped off, I know if you go look this book up on Amazon, it is clearly in the like subtitle, the book The Conjuring franchise is based on or whatever. He's He's kind of giving back, uh, you know, whatever he's getting from the franchise in terms of profiting off other people's work. So uh, if, if you guys are into the Warrens and want to get a little bit closer to first person accounts, Gerald, Gerald Brittle, the demonologist, the extraordinary career of Ed and Lorraine Warren, which also gets you closer to this franchise because the stories are so closely aligned. Um, anyway, that's all I got well, on the uh, Warrens. Why don't we link? Why don't, I was just going to say, why don't we link up that Amazon um, link? <laughs> uh, I talk for a living. <laughs> why don't we link up the Amazon link? for that book on our social media that way if anybody wants to grab it then they can snag it pretty quick yeah that sounds like a great plan I will do that for sure and again if you want to read the Hollywood Reporter piece you can just google Hollywood Reporter uh, Conjuring and War you'll find it pretty quickly but I'll also stick it in the subreddit yeah I actually uh, as you were talking about this I actually just googled War and Underage and it was like the third thing that popped up so oh, okay. uh, real real easy to find yeah uh, no further comment I mean if that stuff's true super gross um, I'm, I'm I'm assuming the courts will make some kind of decision on that. If if it's true, Ed deserves to be condemned for it. Um, if it's false, I hope his reputation survives. I mean, I know he's dead, but nobody would want that kind of associated with their name uh, in the in the brave new world we're living into and whatnot. I mean, I, that's the wrong way to say it. Just nobody wants that association. So for Ed's sake, even if he doesn't know about it, I just I hope if it's not true, that's adjudicated and, and comes out and he's exonerated. Um, yeah. I guess that's all the background material I got. You ready to jump in on this movie proper? 
yeah, buddy, let's let's roll with it. All right. Well, was it fun for you to get an old school haunted house scary movie? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I I don't think that I've watched this movie since I watched it in theaters. I'm with you or very close to you because there was some stuff I recognized, but it felt really fresh. And I'm really glad because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I got to enjoy this movie twice from a from a pretty, you know, new perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. There's a there's a few things in here that uh, yeah, that I, I didn't I didn't remember. And, uh, and there was a few things that I didn't see coming. And so, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It was almost like watching it for the first time for a new set of eyes. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't think I realized how much James Wan was working from his previous projects um, until I started digging mm-hmm. into this episode. So everybody knows, I guess he, he kind of left out of indie movie fame with Saw, which I don't think either one of us is the biggest fan of in the world. Right. But he started making a change in his work with Insidious and this movie called Dead Silence. Do you remember Dead Silence? Yeah, the puppet movie. Yeah. And so, like, you see Insidious, he's coming to a more traditional kind of ghost story movie. He's, he's working with Patrick Wilson by that point, too. And then Dead mm-hmm. Silence gives you a lot of the visuals and whatnot that we get in Annabelle, right? Yeah. And so it, it's kind of cool looking back, I guess, is all I'm saying, to, to see this guy, um, one, make a pretty hard career change from Saw, but then use these other movies that I like quite a bit. You know, they're not as impressive as The Conjuring, but he used them to sort of prep himself to make The Conjuring, which is kind of cool looking back at it in re- retrospect. Yeah, for sure, man. He has really, uh, I don't know if changed the game is the right way of putting it. I mean, if it wasn't for him, we, we definitely won't have the slew of, uh, I guess, torture porn would be the way to do it. And then, you know, not only has he done great stuff with horror movies, he's matured as a as a director, as a writer, as, a, as an artist. But, um, you know, for your sake, he also directed Fast 7. So <laughs> yeah, I know that's, that's a true. franchise near and dear to your heart. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I begrudge him for, for giving us Saul and everything that came came along with that. But he's sure. made up for it with The Conjuring and Insidious and Dead Silence, I think. Um, just kind of the old school nature of this thing. I forgot that this movie was rated R and it was rated R for scariness, not for like sexual content or language. That's that's super rare. Yeah. 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 There. Uh, yeah. There's no nudity. There's no uh, profanity in it or anything. It's just uh, I don't know if I'd say it's terrifying, but I'd probably to the uh, non watching scary movies layperson, it would be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? There may be some kind of back, backstage wrangling for that kind of rating, because as soon as you rate a movie R for just being scary, that that's attention grabbing, you know, so it, mm-hmm. it, it I'm sure it gave the movie a boost at the at the box office. Um, I also love that. Yeah, this, well, you know, oh, go ahead. Uh, speaking I was just going to say, speaking of that, that was one of the reasons why I went and watched it is because I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, okay, that looks really good. And then I did some digging around and realized that it was rated R and not, um, you know, not for their usual things that scary movies are rated R for, but it was rated R because it was, you know, it was terrifying. Um, I think going into, going into my first viewing of it, knowing that I had my expectations a little higher yeah. than, than they should have been. And so on the first viewing of it, it was, it, it really did my expectations. I thought it was a good movie, but I thought it could have been more. As a matter of fact, I remember. I remember my aunt and uncle and I watched this movie and we all sat around the pool later that day being like, ah, you know, we could have done this, we could have done this, we could have done this and made it better. Um, but watching it again, watching it this time was a completely different story. And um, I, 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 yeah, I just I thought it was a really, really good movie. Um, another thing that made it great in my mind anyway, love to hear your feedback, is that it uses practical effects. I mean, we get, we get some, I'm assuming, green screen stuff, particularly with the old crone in the movie. But uh, everything here is done mm-hmm. as much as possible with practical effects and in the same way that it made me love you know uh, Mad Max's the the Fury Road uh, installation we got it's just really cool to get a scary movie that that's not all green screen yeah for sure I agree with that um, a lot I, I actually wasn't aware of that so that's a really cool fact yeah I mean you know you, you get these I mean some of those child actresses or their stand-ins I guess one of them gets thrown into a window and I think in the um, well, well I'll save this for further comment after we do the spoiler warning but there's a scene with Lily Taylor that's, uh, you know, involves some supernatural stuff. And that was all done with practical effects, as far as I can tell. Um, pretty cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, one other thing just that struck me looking back this movie is how this movie was able to be a new direction and a throwback when it came out in 2013. Um, so I, I went and looked at the top horror movies from 2011 and 2012. 2011, the top grossing movie, which, man, it grossed a lot, um, was Paranormal Activity 3. <laughs> yeah. 
and then his own insidious Juan's insidious, but stuff that seems like some kind of time capsule to me. Uh, the third most highest grossing movie that year was Final Destination 5. <laughs> Fourth was Scream 4. And the fifth was that Anthony go. Hopkins, uh, The Right, which was a good movie. But that that this movie came yeah. out when we were still getting Final Destination movies and Scream movies. Yeah. I mean, that it just seems like those are different eras. Yeah. Um, by the time you get to 2012. Yeah, sure. Oh, go ahead, Derek. Sorry. I was just going to say, I can't even believe that there was a Final Destination movie made in 2011. That just seems so, that seems so early 2000s for me. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Same deal with me. Yeah. Uh, by 2012, you get Paranormal Activity 4, The Devil Inside, The Possession. Um, I, this website I was looking at classified Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter in the genre and then House at the End of the Street. Um, I mean, really what's, what's ruling the roost here is found footage and possession movies. Um, right. Which this movie has a possession element, but again, it was a throwback and a fresh new direction by just saying, let's just have a straight meat and potatoes haunted house movie. Pretty cool. Uh, you want to call Wahlberg in and we'll talk about the plot a little bit more specifically? Sure, man. I'll be happy to. Marky Mark, do you think? What? No. Spoiler alert. Uh, Derek, anything in particular from this movie that just leapt out at you as a scary moment? Uh, I mean, I think the clapping is the the biggest thing. I think that's the thing this movie is most remembered for, don't you? Well, I, I, f- I had the same experience of finding the clapping a really powerful device. I, I guess I hadn't thought about it if that's part of its legacy, but... That's one of those things that I guess I had just forgotten about. And so when these phantom claps are taking place or it's like coming out of the wardrobe, I was legitimately chilled by that. Uh, it's one of those things where I experienced this afresh. And, uh, man, it was really powerful. That was on my list, too. Yeah, uh, I think for me, the the clapping, I remember the clapping because I remember it from the trailer. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, but I think one of the things that stood out uh, as a surprise for me as uh, being scary was the little music box. Yeah. And just, just the frightful anticipation you felt every time that that music box was playing and and, um, and the mom was looking into it. And, you know, and that, that really put me on edge. Yeah, Juan is really good here at ramping up horror and like, building dread um there's some stuff he gets to right away i I just remember in this rewatch they show when they first get to the house the dog doesn't want to come inside and like the the camera lingers on it and you're like that dog's dead yeah and pretty quickly it it pays off but the clapping the um the music box where like she's looking in it and the daughter's giving her a creepy narrative about seeing a dead person in it or at least an invisible friend and it doesn't pay off with a ghost Mm -hmm. appearing behind her The, the daughter jump scares her uh right but then later Lorraine does the same thing and you get this ghost face kid in the background. Like it's, it, it's pretty good set up and payoff, I guess uh, it, it's a sign that one's really good at his job. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'll tell you the thing that I didn't remember first viewing that shocked me the most was the woman hanging in the tree. Yeah. Yeah. That's another great way that he sets this stuff up. Like we, we get these scenes of the, you know, the pretty backyard, but then you get to see it through Lorraine's eyes and all of a sudden it's just a lot more disturbing. I'm with you, man. That, that witch hanging from the tree or whatever was visually quite freaky. Yeah. Um, a couple of things I wrote down that I, I just thought were legitimately scary. The first time you see the old woman on top of the wardrobe, you know, you move into her really fast and she kind of shrieks and then you're gone from her really fast. And it kind of does that thing mm-hmm. of like, it doesn't give you enough time to linger there to uh, to kind of have your fear exhausted. It, it just provokes your imagination. Um, and then another one where the um, the girls are in their bedroom and one of them wakes up and is clearly seeing something they're terrified by and wakes her sister up and the sister can't see it, but it's supposed to be over by the door, some terrifying thing that we're not able to see. And the sister goes and investigates and, you know, the, the one who can see it says it's right over your shoulder. You can see that door slam coming a mile away, but it got me. I thought those those young ladies did a really yeah. good job playing that scene out. Yeah, there were a couple of uh, things like that where you you knew it was coming, but it still it still grabs you. Uh, you know, like you said, man, Juan is just a real job, and, and even even some of the jump scares in this movie, like I mean, they did the you know most of the time when I watch a movie, I'm be like one, two, three jump scare, yeah. and even knowing that it was coming, they still a couple of months like oh, okay, I see you, you got you got me. Right. So um, yeah, kudos to, to James Wan on that man because that's that's not easy to do. No, and he figured out how to do it really well. So yeah, kudos to him. Like 
you just said. Um, the other thing that I've got is that if if our listeners remember our episode on the first Scream movie, which is available in our archives, we noted that the opening scene with Drew Barrymore is itself a pretty good horror movie. Mm-hmm. And the in this movie, we open with Annabelle. She's our introduction into the Warren's work. And that opening section that's just focused on the Annabelle doll, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but that seems to me more scary than the actual Annabelle movie that they eventually released. Yeah. So uh, layers yeah, and layers uh, of good I, yeah, I, I think. I mean, obviously, we'll we'll be documenting that that Annabelle movie uh, here in the next couple of weeks. I assume it's just the part of the series. Um, but I'll go ahead and tell you guys right now. My first watching of that movie was my only watching of that movie, and I walked out of that really, really disappointed. So um, you're you're absolutely right. the The first what five minutes of this movie was a uh, was a very uh, well, that's, that's weird to say. <laughs> the first five minutes of this movie was a much better uh, demonstration of how terrifying that doll could be than the first movie was. Yeah, uh, totally with you. Um, and and I'm also with you in, in not liking the first Annabelle. I mean, if, if people have been listening to us very long, they know we've already covered Annabelle creation and we felt much different about that movie. But man, that first Annabelle is pretty weak. Um, yeah. The the only real weakness in any one of the scenes for me is that uh, exorcism scene with Lily Taylor's character where mm-hmm. things just get super crazy bonkers. Like when she turns upside down and attaches herself to the, the roof of the basement. I was like, man, you've done such a good job of sort of like slowly dialing things up. This is a little over the top for me. Um, having said that, when she got loose and went after the kid, I got nervous all over again. I, I guess I didn't remember how it was going to play out. Oh, yeah. But I was like on the edge of my seat worrying about that little girl. Yeah, and uh, I think you I think you wrote this in your in your notes, and I I completely Lily Taylor uh, just dominates this movie and does a fantastic job. Couldn't agree more. It, it is in my notes. I'm I'm you know I feel happy that that you commend that evaluation. If she doesn't work, I mean, don't get me wrong. James Livingston is fine. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farming are really good, but Lily Taylor is this movie, <laughs> and she does this whole range yeah. of like you know mom trying to make the best of a bad situation, staying optimistic, loving her family complete psycho crazy killer who's the biggest threat to her family she does all that super well i have no complaints at all i'm really excited about everything she did and she i mean they they give her a huge range to play and she nails it on every scene that she's in um yeah i mean just a really really great job and and i think you would agree with this it is difficult to um upstage you know because they're in this i mean uh for for me is uh one of my favorite actresses uh patrick wilson is always solid ron livingston has uh, had a wonderful career you know over the last 17 18 years Uh, all three of those are really good usually uh, really solid actors and Lily, who I can't remember seeing in anything until The Conjuring, uh, I thought she just—I thought she killed it. Well, two things. One, thank you. I called Livingston James Livingston for some reason, so yeah, it's wrong. Um, Lily Taylor is in that awful, like early two thousands remake of House on Haunted Hill. You remember that thing? Okay. And it, I, I unfortunately I do. It was awful. And I don't remember anything I liked about that movie. But if you'd have told me that going into yeah. this, like, oh yeah, that's her previous work in the genre, I would have had the lowest of expectations. But uh either she got a lot better or that's how that's how much is bound up in the creative process from a director and a producer and a writer. Because it's night and day how much better she is. Yeah. Now are you talking about the haunting uh, that had like Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta Jones in it? Is yeah. that the one you're talking talking about yeah okay there's a better previous yeah, version of that flaming film. turd exactly the, the 1963 version of that movie is really good but when they remake it man it is awful it's you know it's kind of the go-to example of when big budget horror went wrong in the early 2000s um yeah Owen Wilson was in that movie too. I forgot about that. Wow! You see what I did there? <laughs> yeah, good call. Um, I did, sir. That that was clever. <laughs> it's because I'm watching that Chewbacca video where all the Chewbacca's screams are replaced with him saying, "Wow!" I mean, I don't want to blow past Patrick Wilson and Barry Farming. I love Patrick Wilson's character, I, and and I'm I'm saying that like Ed 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 Warren may have been a monster. That that's fine. I'm separating the literary or cinema you know cinematic character Ed Warren from who he was in history, and I love Patrick Wilson playing him um, and, and, and like you said Vera's great like they play this so straight that it just it, it like makes everything seem more credible you know Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I don't want to like blow past how good they are. It's just that Lily Taylor leaps off the the screen at you, you know. 
Yeah, but uh, Patrick and Vera, uh, they have a wonderful chemistry about themselves. Um, yeah. You know, they really, they make you believe that they have been uh, this couple for a long time. And they've been in the profession for um, however long they've been in the profession by that point. And uh, yeah, I mean, both these, both those actors are very grounded and just, uh, they, they bring it for sure in this movie. But um, but yeah, Lily Taylor is, uh, she brings it just a little bit more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, the only other note I've got on the, the casting is that having seen pictures of Ed Warren, uh, they did him a real favor in casting Patrick Wilson uh, as him. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's uh, he's he's not the most attractive man. No, and if if ever they make a movie about this podcast after I'm dead, Derek, and you're still alive, I I think the equivalent would be <laughs> insisting that you get Channing Tatum to play me. Um, so okay. I, I'm just going to leave that with you, man. Those are my expectations. You got it, buddy. I was going to say Tom Hardy, but uh, but Channing Tatum works too. Yeah, Tom Hardy would be fine. I, I could accept that from Beyond the Grave. Um, <laughs> Derek, anything else you got on this movie, man? I know I've kind of I've kind of led the conversation so far. Uh, yeah, man. So here's uh, here's a couple things. You know, I'm always big on trivia when we talk about these movies. Here's a couple of trivia pieces that I thought were uh, pretty crazy. So when uh, James when James Wan was working on the script, uh, he had just adopted a new puppy, and uh, they were you know he was out late one night working on the script, and the dog starts staring at a supposedly empty side of the room, and he begins to growl aggressively, and mm. then uh, Wan Wan states that his dog's head then falls something all across the room but James never saw anything I'll screw all of that holy cow <laughs> and then uh, another one that I thought was pretty funny was uh, when the Hayes Hayes brothers and Lorraine Warren uh, would chat on the phone about the script uh, they kept getting cut off by a weird sound and a lot of static and then out of nowhere the line would just suddenly go dead oh gosh well so, okay, Derek, so we're getting a lot of like Skype static on this episode I, yeah I think that we're yeah. clearly being drawn into whatever is haunting this franchise Fantastic. Well, that's great. So I wind up dead tomorrow. You guys know what happened. Yes. And we will cast who to play your role? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Okay. That's completely appropriate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. So I, you know, stuff like that. Here's my question to you: You're if you're a uh, an actor or a uh, writer or whatever the situation is, and you're working on something in this genre, and things like that begin to happen to you, when do you pack it up and say, "No, nah, screw it, it's not worth it"? That's a good question to me, particularly because as we've talked about on this podcast, I, you know, I believe in the supernatural. Uh, don't make any bones about that. And while I'm not necessarily going to believe in ghosts, I believe in things like demons. Um, I don't know, man. I, I have worried about just how much stuff I bring into my household connected with my love of horror. And mm-hmm. you know me, I live out in the middle of nowhere. Um, my life is not free from weird stories. Like my dog uh, will act very weird sometimes when I'm watching movies and I'm not trying to be grandiose. I'm just saying like that there's some version of this that's playing out for me. And, and I'm one of the guys who believes in this stuff. Uh, but I haven't stopped on what I'm doing in terms of consuming and then podcasting about it. So, I guess it would take some kind of like crazy visual manifestation, you know, like books flying off the table or somebody shows up talking in a weird voice or something. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess mm-hmm. I'm 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 a little bit down my version of that path as as we record this. I mean, not again, not to be grandiose or try to pretend like I'm being brave or whatnot, but out in the middle of the woods where I live and my dog's going crazy while I'm watching a horror movie, it gets under your your skin a little bit. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, but for I, sure. it's happened enough that. I I keep doing it. So there's there's my answer. What about you, man? I mean, you you actually may end up in a situation where you're having to work on some kind of haunted <laughs> script. So what would you do? Yeah, uh, man, I think I'm with you. I think that if uh, these things start to manifest, you know, I, I don't know if uh, if my dog watching something would scare me enough or not. But you know, of course, I mean, I, I don't know if we've ever really talked about this on the podcast or not, but I've some stuff. Well, and actually, so that, no joke. Uh, you know, we were talking about like the the call cutting in and out, and whatnot. Basically, everything. Yeah. you just said was chopped up. So I heard you say you've seen some stuff. Is that right? Yeah, I've seen. You know, I had a we had a ghost at our house for a while, um, and it's yeah. a it's a crazy story. Story that I, I won't I won't talk about here, but if you guys ever want to know about it, hit me up and I'll I'll uh, write it out for you. You can find me at Derek Zoo, um, but it's it's nuts, and I lived through that. So 
I guess I'm good. Yeah, that is truly one of the more horrifying. Uh, you know, I don't I don't feel like maybe your life was in danger or whatever, but just in terms of my friends who I know are not liars telling me, hey, this happened to me. Yours is one of the more powerful stories. I'm sure people are going like, tell it on the podcast. I'm going to make them do what you said. If you really want to know, reach out to Derek and he'll he'll tell you. That'll be a way for you to connect with him. But yeah, it's legit a good a good scary story. At least you know in in my sphere of experience. Yeah, yeah. Slide in those DMs. I'll uh, be happy to tell you the story. All right, man. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, man. I'm. I think. I think we pretty much cover everything. Uh, let me ask you. Right? Did we see something scary? Oh, for sure. Legit scary. Yeah. Yeah. And then on a scale of one to ten, where would you put this one? Man, I, it may be just like a a high coming off of watching this movie and it kind of bursting past my jadedness about scary movies. But this is a really good movie. The acting's really well done. The set pieces are great. The sound work is really excellent. You know, we didn't even talk about that, but the the soundtrack and just the sound effects are super strong. Um, I'm going to give this movie a yeah. nine. I'm a big fan. I'm going to give it a nine. Okay. Okay. Um, I was going to lean towards 8.5. So I think that's where I'll, I'll go is 8.5. But I, I agree with you, man. Uh, second watch of this movie. Uh, I thought it was excellent. Uh, I definitely would recommend it to anyone who, uh, you know, from, from uh, horror fans like you and I to even like the novices who, you know, maybe just want, just want a good horror movie to watch. Uh, this is it, man. And, and this is a great movie that you can watch uh, again, you know, we've talked about this before this is a great movie that you can watch without the pressures of uh nudity or sexuality or, or profanity or anything like that so while i'm not suggesting watching this with your kid you could watch it with your older kids if you wanted to and feel okay with it that nothing obscene is going to happen does that make sense yeah absolutely i mean this is for for having an r rating this is safe horror if you want to like you know watch it with somebody who's not used to watching horror movies or who thinks of horror movie as a as a genre is just inherently crass this is your go-to. Yeah. Well said, my friend. All right, Derek. Uh, where can they find you again on social media? Uh, you can find me at Derek Zoo. You can find me at Derek Zoo, And you can come visit me at Dolly Parton Stampede this year in Branson, Missouri. We're about to ramp up and we're going to be having like three shows a day. So come out. See me. I ride a horse. It's fun. That is a great way to spend part of your summer break. If any of our listeners have summer breaks. Um, yeah. I am at Right Jeff on most social media platforms and would love to hear from you. If you want to connect, you can get us uh, at Scary Podcast on most social media platforms as well. I mentioned a couple times our subreddit that is forward slash r forward slash saw something scary on reddit.com. Uh, what am I leaving out here, Derek? Uh, yeah. Hey, man, we've got uh, we've got sister podcasts as well. You enjoy professional wrestling and you like listening to me and Jeff uh, wax poetic about that kind of stuff. You can find us at Megapotters. The Megapotters uh, is our weekly professional wrestling podcast. Jeff also does a podcast with more uh, called Pop Culture Quorum Deo, uh, just, uh, which goes into more of a faith-based uh, watching of uh, movies, all genres, not just horror movies. And you'll remember Jared Moore from our episode with The Thing. So uh, there's there's two more chances you can listen to Jeff right in your ear holes every week. And uh, I know that I'm probably biased when I say that The Megapotters is great, but Pop Culture Quorum Deo is also a really wonderful podcast as well. So make sure that you're listening to both those. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you, sir. That was kind words. I appreciate them. Um, I guess next week we're going to go do the original Annabelle because it's it's in 2014 and then The Conjuring 2 comes out in 2016. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Alright guys, so check back in with us next week for Annabelle as we continue this walk back through The Conjuring franchise. Um, otherwise, I guess thanks for listening and Derek, why don't you tell our, uh, our listeners how they can safely navigate the forthcoming days until they hear from us again. You got it. From uh, for Jeff Wright, I'm Derek Zoo, uh, reminding you guys to be careful of clowns and sewers, uh, blind me with turkey basters and white people cups. See you guys next week. Bye bye, man. get a uh, uh, an exorcist to, to bless our Skype connection for next week. Uh, this thing is... Yeah, dude. I don't know what's... Yeah, I don't know what's going on, man. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, uh, it, uh, it might as well... I mean, it may well be my end. I don't know what the deal is, but anyway, it sounds cooler when we've got a, a haunted Skype connection, right? Yeah, especially when we're talking about The Conjuring. That makes it more, <laughs> makes it more authentic.